Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Becker's Facilities. High pressure washing, facility maintenance, builders clean and commercial sanitization. They do it all. Check them out at beckersfacilities.com.au. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we are joined by former NBL 200 gamer and current Melbourne United assistant coach, Reese Carter. Welcome to the podcast, Reese. How are you going? I'm good, thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. No worries. What was growing up like for you? Uh, well, I live down in Sale, so about two hours east of Melbourne, down in the country. Uh, so, big sports, childhood, played a lot of tennis, a lot of footy. Basketball was a bit later, but um, yeah, had a, a sort of quiet country life and did a bit of everything. And um, yeah, like I said, mostly tennis and, and footy for sports growing up and then got into basketball a little bit later. So um, yeah, great, great uh, little sporting town I grew up in. So um, really enjoyed it. What was that like sort of going into basketball a little bit later? Do you think that might have given you a disadvantage or anything like that? No, well, I... Um, I still played a little bit of basketball from when I was about nine or ten, but I really didn't take it all that seriously. I think I was nine, actually. Um, didn't take it all that seriously. I was more into um, the footy and, and tennis side of things. And when I was about 12 or 13, started to um, get a little bit better at basketball, get a, you know, a bit more enjoyment out of it. And, um, yeah, and then really started to take it serious. But, um, yeah, in, in a small town, there's not uh, all that many kids. We all usually play every sport. So I think in some ways that's a bit of an advantage. I think a lot of the things, you know, like tennis with a lot of lateral movement and sliding side to side and things like that. And that always transfers over to, to basketball. And um, obviously you play a bit of footy and, and helps you be able to play a bit of physical basketball and take some hits and, and play through some things. So I think um, mixing up playing a lot of different sports at a young age is, is pretty healthy, I think. Between 2000 and 2002, you played in the Siebel for the AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport. Can you explain to me sort of how you got recruited and also what your experience there was like? Yeah, so uh, the process was kind of just going through the whole Vic Country um, uh, program, go through, make, make the state team under 16s, um, go away to the national championships playing for Victoria Country. And then, um, yeah, the Basketball Australia and AIS coaches are always there looking around and, and that's pretty much where I got. Uh, recruited there and so we got a full scholarship uh, going live in Canberra at the Australian Institute of Sport for two and a half years I was there um, and it's a pretty intense environment you're living on campus you're training two three times a day your weights your extra shooting everything we did um, living in a big dorm block with the rest of the team was a lot of fun so you got 12 guys that are all 16 17 years old living in the same building and um, yeah and we all go to the same school a local school there in Canberra and um, it was a great experience at that age, being able to play like in the Seabull, obviously against, you know, some NBL guys who'd come back down and play imports, all that kind of stuff that you haven't seen when you're 16, 17 years old. So I think that was a big part of my development was um, going into that professional environment from, yeah, I was actually 15 when I first went up there. So um, it, it really helped. It was just an amazing uh, experience. And like I said, you're living in this, in this big house, a big dorm room with 11 of your good mates that you play with and train with every day. So the whole experience for me was, uh, it was just awesome. Did you sort of feel intimidated by um, perhaps those NBA, uh, NBL players and the imports coming down to the Siebel? Yeah, at first, definitely. My first month, um, I, like I said, I was so young and, and I was really, some of the guys I'd seen on TV and all this and hadn't really been around 
um, NBL players or anything like that um, before. So, yeah, a bit in awe, a little bit of a few guys that I played against, um, you know, but you pretty quickly have to adjust and, and realise that, all right, if I'm going to compete with them, I, I can't just be in awe of these guys. So uh, it didn't take too long to, to sort of catch up. Like I said, that elite environment really just drags everyone along to, to get to a higher level. So I really was able to, to adjust pretty quickly and start to find my feet. Uh, that senior level uh, from that young age. In 02 as well, you started off your NBL career with the big giants, but only spent, you know, two seasons there. How did you sort of find starting off in those first few years at um, an elite level in the NBL? Yeah, it was tough, um, you know, being sort of 18 and then trying to take that next step up from Siebel level to NBL. Um, it was tough. I didn't play a lot, sat on the bench, trained hard, um, did a lot of things. Um, to try and make it, but uh, you know it was a, it was a tough league, and we had a lot of veterans on our team. And um, coach at the time was you know he worked us really hard, and he was really trying to me for a sort of long term development. But um, you know the old school thought back then was sometimes you have to wait your turn and and do your time of just training and and waiting and and waiting for your opportunity to come. And uh, probably in my second year there, I um, got a few chances to play some minutes and and play a really a bigger role, uh, a couple of injuries, and then just found a bit of form and, and got given some more court time. So, um, yeah, it, w- it was tough to really break into that um, regular minutes and regular spot in the rotation at first. And, and as an 18-year-old, you get impatient. You want more and more minutes and you want to try and make your mark. So, um, yeah, it wasn't always easy, but it was a great fun experience. And just I was just happy to be in, in the NBL. I'd always watched it on TV and grown up you know, dreaming of playing in the NBL. So um, for me, a lot of the time I was just had to sit back and think about how happy I was just to be there. In 2003, you were part of the FIBA Under-19s Championship Aussie Gold Medal team. What did that sort of mean to you starting out your career? Yeah, that was awesome. That's still a career highlight, you know, looking back. um, Yeah, we went away with that team. You know, like I said, it was most of the guys that I used to live with at the AIS, you know, a lot of those guys went through that program two, three years together and, um, you know, you go away and, and it was in Greece and, and we went away for a couple of weeks to the, to the worlds and competing against the best kids in the world, uh, from everywhere. And, you know, you just get to wear that green and gold and, and that's pretty special. You know, it's something that from when I first went to the AOS at 15, I was sort of given that, um, goal of like, you know, you're the right age to go and play in the next world championship if that's what you want to do. And so that I made that my huge focus. Um, and just, yeah, getting to wear that green and gold was one thing, but then to win it and, and come away with medal and stand on that podium, they play the national anthem. And, and, you know, like I said, with a bunch of your mates who have been through a lot together and um, yeah, still something I look back on as, as one of my best memories in basketball. You didn't play in 04 or 05. Can you tell me about why you didn't play? Um, coming back from that world championship, uh, yeah, my, my second year in, in the NBL, the Giants, the team folded at the end of that season. Um, so it had a big, obviously, thrill of the Worlds and then came back. And, and uh, although I played a lot more in my first year, I still was, you know, had a, a smallish role on the team. And the team folded. Um, I uh, sort of just didn't want to move. got back to Melbourne, which was sort of close enough to home for me. And, um, yeah, it was a bit disappointing when the team just sort of fell over and there was no more team. And so I'd had some interest from a couple of other teams. But in the meantime, I just went and played a bit of footy uh, back home in Sale. Um, 
and did okay with that. I obviously had played a lot of footy growing up and then got sort of recruited down to play in the VFL for a few games, ended up playing seven games in the VFL and went through the whole footy route for a little while, as a lot of basketball players are doing these days. But, um, yeah, did all that and got invited and did the whole draft camp um, uh, testing and everything and, and went through that whole procedure, meeting with some clubs and all that kind of stuff and tried to do footy. Uh, got to about three, four months, four or five months in maybe of the whole footy thing and, and started to miss basketball a little bit. Uh, went back and started training with Melbourne Tigers at the time. Uh, did a couple of months training with them through their season um, and uh, just decided that I'd go back to basketball. with A good little six-month break where I was a bit sick of basketball, to be honest. It had been a tough, tough little time after coming back from that Worlds and I always just had that thing of footy sitting in the background that I loved it and I wanted to play and wanted to give it a crack and went and did it for that little bit of time. But yeah, decided in the end that basketball was what I wanted to do. In 05, 06, you came back to the NBL and played a really solid three seasons with the West Sydney Razorbacks. During these three seasons, did you sort of feel like the team had gelled well together and what was it like to be coached by former Olympian Gordy McLeod? Yeah, well, um, that was a yeah, it was a good uh, good couple of years there. Although the team success wasn't what we wanted to be. When I first got there, we had a great squad, uh, and by the fourth game of the season, our whole starting five was was done for the season. And so we had brought in two new players, and I'd been elevated to starting five for most of the first part of the season. Um, we lost Steve Markovic to Europe before the season. Simon Dwight, NBL legend had to retire because of an injury in the preseason, like a month before the season, uh, we had to replace him. So, um, yeah, as much as I was happy to be back in the league and loving that I had this major role and getting to start and play a lot of minutes, um, in, in a lot of ways, it was tough too. Like a really enjoyable time there, but um, that first year was tough just on the team as far as um, just having players. Like we had to bring in so many new people. We had James Harvey was a superstar of the league. He did his shoulder a few games in. And so we were just so down on numbers and, and we didn't get the wins um, because of that. Um, the next year was a slightly better. We held together a, a lot of that team and, and started to go all right again. Hit a couple of injuries early in the season. Uh, import hurt his knee before the first game, week before the first game. So we had a really rough start um, and uh, had a bit of a coaching change there. Uh, Cal Bruton came in um, and took over as, as coach and that, just brought a lot of changes as well. Uh, Cal had some some really great ideas, but very different ideas, uh, and so we had to change all in the middle of the season. So that was um, that was something that uh, yeah it took some adjusting as well. So it was it was a real roller coaster ride that time at West Sydney. Some really good highs uh, and some really tough times as well. But you know that's that's a lot of seasons in professional sport. But it was probably just pretty amplified there with all our injuries and player changes, coach changes. Um, yeah, and then my third year, Rob Beveridge, who was our coach of the the uh, junior world championship, came and took over. So I uh, got to play for him again. Uh, that was good fun. But again, Damien Martin was our um, starting point guard his first year in the league. He did a knee. Matt Knight, who'd been a great player at college, came back. He did a – what did he do that year? Shoulder or a knee as well. So anyway, two of our better players had done injuries again. So – was really the story of my time at West Sydney was we never played with a full team. Um, really uh, could have been some good times, but uh, yeah, I myself didn't have any injuries those three years, played through the whole time. But uh, as a team, it was, a, it was a pretty tough couple of years, but I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, the last year, obviously, they started having some, some problems too. And um, 
yeah, I moved on after my third year, but it was it was good times. What's it like to be in a club like that with uh, NBL legend Damian Martin and championship winning coach Rob Beveridge? Yeah, well, it was um, it's funny that year. Like as much as I'd uh, been close with Bevo and and Damo from the AIS all the way through, we are still good mates now. Um, it, you can't enjoy it as much when you're not winning. <laughs> you know, we were having a tough time. Uh, we enjoyed each other's company. Uh, it was great people to be around. But when you're not winning, it's just um, it's just really it's a tough thing. And and went through a few years there of just um, just not having that that winning feeling and, and especially that year, like I said, injuries and everything, we started so well and then it just all went downhill. Um, got to play with for Bevo and with Damo again in Perth a few years later and we're winning and uh, the difference is huge. The same people, um, you know, but uh, the same game, but just it just feels totally different when you're winning. So although, you know, great people to be around, um, just would have been a whole lot different if, if the wins were on the board. The 0809 season, you switched teams to the South Dragons. What impacted your decision to sort of make the move to the Dragons? Um, well, it was actually uh, kind of got pushed out of, uh, of West Sydney. Bevo was, obviously, I'd always been close with Bevo as, as a coach, and he just sort of came to me and just said, look, you know, things are, we need to make a lot of changes and, and things are happening. You know, you've, you've done well here, but we don't need, <laughs> we don't need you. So, um you know, and that's just part of it. I obviously didn't have a great year and, and the team didn't have a great year and, and he just needed to make changes and he was good about it. Um, so I just went back to back home to Victoria, played in the big V League here in the off-season and um, and just the assistant coach of the Dragons was uh, Guy Malloy uh, that I had played for as well in the under-21 Australian team, got along with well. I just asked him if I could come and train and see if they had any spots and, and just see if it would would work and just turned up and, and just trained really hard for a couple of weeks. Brian Gorgian took over as coach and um, when he came in, uh, yeah, he just thought that I was working pretty hard in training and um, was really sort of earning that spot. And so then, um, yeah, it just sort of turned out that it just fell into place. Uh, for me, being back in Melbourne again, I was loving that. Gorgian was a legendary coach. The squad was good. Everything, you know, looked positive. Um, and for me, it was just a, a great, sort of turnaround. I got to play on this amazing winning team, uh, had a huge role in the team, got to play a lot after the season before in West Sydney of losing and playing less. It was just a um, sort of refresh my career needed and I was just, everything about it was just great family around, watching games, friends around. Uh, and like I said, just great people. The ownership were awesome, management, everything was just, um, it was just a really great situation. Yourself and the South Dragons won the NBL championship in 08, 09. What was that sort of winning feeling like and um, how much better did the, your teammates make it for you? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, like I'd finished, I'd played five seasons in the league before that. Um, I'd finished bottom, I think twice and second bottom twice, third bottom once. So I'd never been off you know, outside the bottom three of the league. Uh, and so to go to a winning program, um, it was just huge and it just was... Uh, you know, such a different feeling. You come in every Monday uh, and it's not like starting practice with a punishment or a, like we've got to work harder, we're not good enough thing. So um, just being a winning team was great. But then that feeling of, you know, walking up, accepting that championship ring, you know, um, with all those guys, we worked so hard. We had such a long preseason. We worked so hard together. We got along so well. Great group of guys that, um, yeah, like I said, still now, you know, guys like Joey Ingalls over in, 
in Utah and, and Adam Gibson here in Melbourne, Dante Smith, the Americans playing in Israel. And I've spoken, you know, I speak to all of them pretty regularly. Um, just a great group of guys. And when you do something special like that, it just makes it a friendship even closer. So, um, yeah, amazing feeling. And like I said, made even better by the struggles that I'd been through the years before. Tell me about um, playing under the great gorge. Yeah, the gorge was tough. Uh, it's funny, as, as uh, on a coaching staff now with, with Melbourne United, we always talk about not overtraining and, and training loads and all these kind of things. You hear about load management in the NBA. Well, um, the early 2000s, gorge wasn't really familiar with those sort of talks. Um, we would train hard and we would train long and, uh, and we put in the work. It was, you know, we had some injuries from it, but somehow, you know, we, we made it through the whole season of grueling sort of two, three-hour trainings every day. Um, you know, heavy weights and, and conditioning sort of program as well. Uh, long preseason, so uh, he was tough, but he he just had a way of making you feel like it was all worth it. He he'd really just you know plead with you, he's like you just got to give me five more minutes, just keep working, keep working. We're gonna get there, you know, and these kind of things. And um, his attention to detail, you know, if you didn't do it right, you do it again. And it was like you know you were two centimeters off the spot you needed to be, we'd do it again, do it again. Um, and he just drilled that into us that just every little centimeter helps, every little thing counts, um, and we just had to do the work, and, and we did the work, and um, obviously got results, and he's always got results. Um, so it'll be interesting. Obviously, he's back in the NBL this season, so you know it's really interesting to see um, how that goes for him now because he's never not won. So um, yeah, great experience playing for him. Do you think um, Gorge has any sort of similarities to Coach Joey Wright? Yeah, the similarities. Yeah, I've obviously played for Joey as well, and, and Joey was the same. He was, uh, you, you know, you, you got to play hard. If you, if you don't just give everything and play hard and play tough for Gorge and Joey, and you just can't play. So, um, yeah, there's definitely some similarities. Different styles in how they go about their offensive system and, and defensive system and stuff, but definitely just the intensity and just the um, the real grind and toughness that you, you have to have if, you know, you're going to play for these guys. So um, both great coaches. Again, in 2009, you represented the Aussie Boomers for the first time on a tour around China. So what did that sort of feature mean to you? Um, yeah, that was huge. Obviously, I'd had a, um, a, a good year in the NBL. We'd won and, and got to play a lot and, and, to be rewarded with, yeah, an Australian senior jersey, even though, you know, it's not an Olympics or a world championship or anything, but um, just to be able to put the singlet on was just really special. Um, uh, luckily for me, it was, Daly was still too young. He was about 17 at the time. He wasn't on the scene. Paddy Mills, I think, was a lockout year and wasn't allowed to play that off-season. And <laughs> so it was a couple of things happened that sort of opened up that spot for me to slide into the boomers. But, um, yeah, it was, it was still just really special. We played against the Chinese team, had a couple of NBA guys and, um, and uh, yeah, we had a couple of good wins against them. So um, yeah, it was, it was uh, like I said, a bit of luck that I got to fall into that squad, a couple of guys unavailable and stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've still got the Jersey and no one will take it away from me. So it's just a great experience. In 2009, 2010, you moved over to overseas to play for the Swedish team, Gothia Basket. Why did you decide to, or like, why did you move overseas to play for a foreign country? Um, I probably, well, the Dragons, uh, after we won the championship, um, got an ownership, got into a bit of a with the league and, and there was a bit of a, 
bit of an argument and a bit of difference of opinion on how the league should look and how teams should fit into the league's um, sort of rules. Uh, and so they pulled out of the league. And so for me, I'd just come back to Melbourne, had a big year. About a week earlier, I'd sat down with Gorge and talked about new contracts and that was all looking pretty good for me and, and we were going to lock in a, a multi-year contract. And then to be told that there was no team in Melbourne for to play for anymore was just really disappointing. Um, I was a bit sort of disgruntled. I'd, I'd had a tough couple of years, like, you know, I'd fallen through in West Sydney. My first team of the Giants had, had folded where I had to leave in the first place. Um, and then for it to happen again when I thought I'd finally found this long-term club I was going to stay at for 10 years um, just really sort of upset me. Uh, my now wife, girlfriend at the time, is from Sweden. Um, and she was here studying. She'd finished her uni degree or just about to finish. And and I just was the one actually that said I just wanted to change, just wanted to get out. The NBL was just uh, just upset me too many times in the last couple of years after thinking I'd, you know, found a home. But um, so I just started talking to some teams over there and just, you know, put out my sort of highlight video and stats and, and a bit about myself to a bunch of the teams over there and, and got back, I think, three offers out of six teams that I spoke to to go and play over there. Um, chose uh, the team here in Gothenburg, uh, Gothenburg Basket. And, um, yeah, just wanted to try something new and, and just go and play and see if I could cut it over there. I was an import over there, obviously. So, um, you know, it's, it's that ruthless world of being an international player in basketball. Um, yeah, loved it. Loved every minute of it. It was just such a different experience. The league, not as good as the NBL, but um, still a really quality league. A couple of teams playing in the European competitions. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, some, some quality players. So, and to just be forced to be able to sort of perform and be one of the sort of two or three guys that had to carry the team a little bit as, as an import. Um, yeah, just made it a totally different setting for me. And it was a real refreshing sort of feel. And, and, and I loved it. Over the next few years... You were sort of a bit of everywhere. Like you came back to Adelaide and then, you know, back to Sweden and then came to Perth. So what was like that sort of fitting into a group and then picking yourself up and moving like for you? Yeah, there was positives and negatives. I look back now and I just think how great it was because, you know, I got to see so much of the world, you know, all these different situations, got these friends in different cities all over the place. Um, Went back to Adelaide um, to play for Marty Clark, who coached me at AIS earlier, and I was really close with. Um, would have stayed there too. I liked it there, loved it there. But again, it was a it was a losing team, losing season. We had to tra- change imports twice, another injury to you know um, one of the main guys. So just unstable. Um, they were trying to really establish what they were doing. Um, and I had a really good offer come from uh, come from Sweden after that Adelaide season. A two-year deal was all really, really good offer based on my year, uh, my first year in Sweden. Um, tough decision. I had to talk to Marty about it. Look, I've got this great deal. What's it look like here next year? And sort of said, look, we think we've got a place for you, but there's waiting for everyone. We need to lock in some superstars before we can sort of deal with your spot. It's always sort of how it is. You've got to lock in your best guys whatever fits around your best guys, which was what I was, a role player, um, and I was comfortable with that. Um, never going to be the first one signed, so I had to wait. And I just thought that that offer that was on the table back in Sweden, um, you know, which I loved the league over there and the team was a really good team, a couple of good people on it. Um, I knew it would be a good situation to go to, so um, I just had to take that what was on the table and not sort of wait and hope that it would fit uh, in with what they needed in Adelaide. So... Um, that was part of the deal of being sort of a role player. I, you know, I went to Perth a year after that and was going to stay there and then get told that 
um, you know, there was a point system there and, and they told me to my face that not you're worth too many points. It's not going to fit into the cap. Um, we're going to have to replace you with someone who's ranked lower than you. And I thought, well, just have to deal with that. That's, that's how it is. Um, it's sort of hard to hear that you're losing your job to someone who's not as good as you because there's a system that, you know, makes it that way. But, um, you know, like I said, that's just part of it. I didn't, I didn't sort of ever get to that level where I was going to be, you know, one of the first four or five guys signed. So I had to sort of just wait around and sort of pick up whatever jobs I could. And, um, negatives of moving around and having to fit into new teams all the time, but so many positives, just living all these different experiences, playing for different coaches, um, you know, really learning different ways of playing and, and how to fit into different groups. I just think I've got so much out of it. I'm just really thankful for it. During the 2013 NBL season for Perth, you played your 200th NBL game. What, was there anything special to you about that game and what did that feature or sort of award mean to you? Um, yeah, I guess um, it was a bit funny. I think it was about my fourth game in Perth um, and I joined them just around Christmas time in the middle of the season when Brad Robbins retired. Um, so it was a bit funny that the Wildcats gave me like this Wildcats logo trophy for, you know, 200 NBL games and stuff it was my fourth game for the club. So <laughs> it felt a bit strange that, um, that that's how it was. But at the same time, yeah, it was pretty cool to just think, like I said, I used to watch it on TV and, you know, I got, you know, basketball, Andrew Gay's signature on it and, and photo with DMAC, um, you know, when I was a kid and it was like the NBL was this amazing thing living out in the country you can't even really go to a game on a weekend or anything so like to the nbl just seemed so far away um so to think that i'd got 200 games in in the league was um it was pretty cool um yeah always sort of cherish every game that i had in 2014-15 nbl season you won your second nbl title with the breakers do you think you sort of soaked that one up and um and maybe quite possibly enjoyed it more than your first one yeah, it's sort of hard to say what you sort of enjoy more or less. Like that first one, like I said, was such a thrill just coming from so many tough times. And then um, the two years previous, obviously I'd lost the grand final at Perth. I went to Adelaide the next season, lost the grand final there, went to New Zealand and finally won one third year in a row at a, at a um, different club. Um, but yeah, it was... Uh, Obviously, you know that, you know, I was getting towards the end there. You know, it was my 11th year or whatever it was in the league. And, um, you know, you're not going to get too many chances. So, you know, they really did soak that one up and enjoy it. And, um, yeah, still a great year. You know, so many, again, so many great relationships. You know, Mika Vakona was on the, the Dragons Championship as well. And so we're still close now. Um, yeah, and all, the, all the, the Kiwi guys over there just took me in. I was the only Aussie on the team at the time. So... <laughs> They, uh, they were great to me, took me in and made me feel part of the crew straight away and, and great ownership and great people over there. So really good memories. What was that like to be the only Aussie on an all-New Zealand team? Yeah, well, we had the two Americans and then we had myself and then the rest were the Kiwi boys. So like I said, lucky I, was, I got along really well with Mika um, and he's <laughs> such a big part of the team. So day one, I came in and, and Mika accepted me and I think that sort of shows the group like oh, if Mika likes you then then you're okay so that helped me just have a foot in uh with all the boys but yeah um it was a great crew like I got along well with everyone but you know Shay Illy now is over at uh, United with us uh he was one of the rookies on the team um and so it's good to be reunited with him and, and work with him again but uh yeah it was just a um cool little thing they had going over there it was real like I said it was very New Zealand but they were they were more than open and 
and welcoming to everyone that came in and joined the joined the crew. What's that like to see Shay Ellie develop from uh, as a rookie at New Zealand to um, the star de- defending and at the offensive end that he is now? Yeah, it's been awesome to watch him grow. I mean, that first year, so he was a development player. I don't think he really played barely any minutes at all that year. But uh, but at practice, you could see he had he just had this speed and and defensive ability that was just you know sometimes would match up on him in training and you'd have trouble getting out of the backcourt. You know, he just could really lock up and you know he had some things to learn on offense um, that uh, you know that he's really picked up pretty quickly in those you know years after I left, but. Um, yeah, I could always see that he had that, that speed, athleticism and that, and that toughness that uh, was going to get him a long way. And now he's added to that. He's added his shot. He's added a lot of things offensively to his game. And he's always working on his game. So you knew he was going to be good because he was always willing to put in that time and effort um, and, and do all the extra things to, to develop his skill set. Um, you know, he's still one of those guys that stays behind, you know, after training, work on his ball handling, working on his shooting, all that kind of stuff. So... Um, awesome to see him get the rewards for it. And he's just, you know, I think he's still got so much improving to do. What was it like to be coached by Dean Vickerman at New Zealand and then to now um, being part of the team and club with him? Yeah. Um, yeah. I love playing for Dino. He, um, you know, with me, I came in there and we had a really short preseason. And so I was kind of trying to find my, find my feet in the group a little bit um, and just kind of trying to play a role and, and, and do what I could to help the team a little bit through the preseason, only three or four preseason games. And um, the day of the first game of the season, he came to me and said, like, oh, you know, you're doing well, but it's like, I want you to just, you know, take the game on a little bit. You've always been one. Of these, you know, you get hit a shot, you can throw up a few, get a, get a little roll going. And so don't be scared to, to throw a few up. And so in the first half of the first game of the season, I think I hit my first three and then ended up getting up about seven threes in the first oh. half and walked off. <laughs> I think I had 12 or 14 points at halftime, which is more than I'd had the whole preseason combined. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, he was just all about that. And so he just gave me confidence um, and that just sort of took off. And, again, I had a pretty good season there personally, but it's mostly because of the way he, you know, gave me the confidence to just go out there and the team just played in, in such a way where everyone got opportunities and everyone gets a chance to do their bit. Um, and you just play with that freedom, knowing that, um, you know, you play hard defensively and everyone's got that license to go and do what they do. And I think that was what, what I loved about playing for Dino. You played your final season in the NBL in 2016. What did those years in the NBL mean to you? Yeah, that was um, it was a tough one again. Um, so every time I go to Sydney, it feels like uh, it turns into a bit of a disaster. So I went back <laughs> to Sydney to the Kings this time. Uh, Josh Childers, obviously a superstar, breaks his hand in the second game, or third game of the season when we were just about to go three and zero. We'd sort of had a great start and we looked really good and lost the game where he broke his hand and then just uh, went on a bit of a... Oh, two weeks later, our starting guard, Steve Markovic, got uh, illness, missed pretty much the rest of the season. Uh, so, yeah, two starters gone within three games was, um, was not ideal. Um, coaching changed mid-season again, uh, which um, was, in my opinion, unnecessary. It was nothing to do with the coach. We'd lost two starters in the first two weeks and the coach had Damien Cotter was a great coach um, management at the time. We're not there anymore. Um, decided that he needed to move on because uh, he couldn't win without his two of his better players. But uh, that's it for another day. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so then it just um, sort of deteriorated a little bit that season. We brought in a few new people in and out a bunch of times, more injuries. 
So as much as it was a disaster, I was at the point in my career where I didn't let it get to me like I used to in the early days. Uh, and I just enjoyed the boys. We had a great group of guys, just enjoyed coming into training, enjoyed the games, just really enjoyed the whole experience. I'd had, you know, my kids by that point and, and sort of looked at that as more important than the actual basketball and winning and losing by then. And so I sort of, I just enjoyed it. Um, I knew it wasn't that long left. Um, and I just wasn't going to take it for granted that I get to come in and, and bounce a ball and throw a ball around every day for a job. So um, as much as the results were not great, uh, I still really enjoyed that last year in Sydney. You joined Melbourne United in 2018-19. Can you tell me about how you got to the point of being team manager? Yeah, well, um, it's not the career sort of that I had planned out, but uh, I caught up with Dino for coffee, but um, just to catch up. Uh, and he said, oh, what are you doing with yourself? And I said, oh, I'm getting into some, some coaching stuff. I'm doing, you know, some other work, working with a school with, um, uh, so with like, a, like a teacher's aid sort of job as well. I had a bunch of things happening. He's like, oh, do you want to coach? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. He said, well, we've got an academy that's starting up, but it's about a year away. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds great, but whatever. Uh, he's like, oh, but if, if you want to coach and you want to come in and sort of be within our coaching staff, there's – there might be a role here for you. And I was like, oh, wow, coaching role. This would be amazing. Then he comes back a week later. And he's like, oh, so what we need is a team manager. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's not really a coaching role. He's like, he's like, but come and be a team manager. Take this admin role. So admin and team manager stuff. Um, and come in and sit in on all the coaches' meetings, help us at training, help with drills, do all these kind of things, and just basically be – on the side of the coaching staff the whole way, shadow us the whole year, learn the ropes, coaching apprenticeship sort of thing. Um, but you have to fill the drink bottles, hand out the towels and do the uniforms in between. And I was like, yeah, look, no worries. Like, I get to learn from, you know, we had Paul Hanare was the assistant coach. Dino, um, obviously the head coach, two guys that had, I'd played for in New Zealand and really admired and loved the way they did things. Uh, and I just saw the opportunity of learning basically. Um, and if I had to fill up drink bottles and, and hand out towels and, and do all those little uh, the admin stuff in the background, that was just uh, just a part of the whole learning procedure. So it was actually really good. Got to uh, learn some new skills within the admin side of it as well, which could come in handy at some point. But I think that the lessons I learned just by sitting in the background in, in those coaches' meetings and, and every now and then Dino was great. He'd sort of throw to me, oh, what do you think about that? What could we do to stop that defensively and everything? So... Um, he was great about really including me in that, in that coaching group, even though I wasn't one of the coaching staff, he was, he was really good about it. So learn a lot, um, got elevated to that um, academy head coach once we started the academy a year ago. So I sort of launched, um, launched into that pretty, pretty full on. And then this last year was yeah, as a development coach with the NBL team. And then just uh, this season will be moving up to, to the assistant coach role. So it's all moved pretty quickly. Um, and, and as Dino does, he sort of, yeah, he, he presented an opportunity, you know, that could move, sorry, could move on to, um, you know, more opportunities and, and it really has. So can't thank him enough and, and the whole club, you know, Vince Corelli, the CEO has been awesome helping drag me along, uh, through this whole journey. Well, being the head coach of the, um, the development program and after the kids in the academy and also a development coach. What kind of drills and gameplay situations have you put kids and players through? Um, well, we have a we have about 100 kids or about 120 kids in our academy at the moment. So it's you know it's a lot of athletes that we're um, working with on 
a lot of different levels. So some almost beginner level groups we have all the way up to some really high level kids that are really elite athletes. Um, and so we kind of tailor a lot of it to, to where they're at, but we try and really, um, we try to coach a lot of the same things with the academy kids that we do with, with the NBL guys, obviously just on a scale uh, according to their skill level. But um, we're really just trying to get uh, a lot of the fundamentals. So we're really doing a lot of skill work. So we're not doing a whole lot of gameplay or a lot of um, team concepts with our academy. It's a real skill development academy. So um, I've learned a lot from Lee. We had Ross McMains who was uh, with us last year on the coaching staff. He's over in the States now, works out some of the best NBA uh, guys coming into the draft he's doing the pre-draft workouts with some of the really really high picks he's a great skill development coach and he's got some really you know really good techniques and, and drills and stuff that he does and so I learned a lot off him and I've been able to implement that uh, some of that into the academy as well uh, we had Phil Handy who was the Lakers coach uh, assistant coach this year he came out and spent a few weeks with us and I was um, uh, Phil Phil's sort of shadow for a few days and showed a few times drove him around and he came out to the academy with us uh, learned some stuff off him. Um, and so, yeah, we're really trying to give uh, the kids, you know, obviously I've played for a lot of really good coaches and I think I've picked up a lot of really good stuff over the years and uh, I'm just trying to pass that on to as many kids as I can uh, and help these young athletes really build. And, and our plan is that some of our academy athletes in the next few years will filter into our, you know, development player program and hopefully into our team. So, um, it's in early days at the moment. We're a year in and we haven't even finished a full year seeing as COVID cut us off. But um, yeah, we're really hopeful to keep driving the academy and just keep growing it more and more. Usually, how many kids usually sort of uh, try out for the academy each year? Um, our initial tryout was like 400 or 300 and something kids. Uh, and we got we picked, I think, about 50 that first that we picked. Maybe it was about 60 we had in our first term. Uh, and then we have sort of a new triad every term and depending on numbers of availability that we have, um, you know, we can let in different amounts every, every term, but we can sort of usually get a few more in each term. Uh, we run eight programs. Um, we have them in small groups. We have really high level coaches, you know, some XMBL, some WMBL um, some players um, and uh, yeah, some really high level coaches that we try and, um, get these kids the coaching that they don't get at their junior clubs. You know, there's some really great coaches out there at junior level coaching these teams, but as far as skill development from, from elite coaches, um, we're trying to really provide something that those kids that maybe uh, don't make the state development programs or the, um, or the, uh, you know, the high level state programs, uh, you know, we try and offer them the same coaching and training that, you know, the elite, elite kids are getting. You mentioned before um, moving up to the assistant coach role at United this year. What does that um, feature mean to you? Um, yeah, well, it's kind of uh, come about a little bit through the circumstances of, of COVID and, and um, just uh, yeah, getting lucky a little bit. But uh, I've been sort of trying to work on the scenes and sort of upskill myself doing a lot of the, the video editing and, and cutting of footage and all the little things that assistant coaches do. So I'm, you know, ready for this opportunity when it comes and it, and it looks like now, um, yeah, I'm going to get that opportunity, which is just awesome. Um, still learning a lot, you know, every day, just uh, sitting in there chatting, obviously Justin Shaw, the other assistant coach has been doing this for a long time. He's a under 17 Australian coach. So he's been helping me a lot to step up into that role. Dino has been such a great help. Um, you know, he really trusts 
all of us on the staff to, to do our job and just gives us, you know, puts a lot of trust to have our opinions and, um, and have our say. And, he, and then he just sort of filters uh, all the opinions. Justin will have his say, I'll have my say. And then in the end, Dino chooses what he wants to listen to, but he's great at, um, you know, letting us have our say and put our opinions forward and, and seeing which ones he likes and which ones he doesn't. So, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a great experience through this short little time we've been training. And I've been taking on more responsibility of training, running drills, um, doing more of our individual defensive stuff um, with the team. So, yeah, just really enjoying it. What's it like to work with the uh, like players like Chris Golding, you know, David Barlow, who just came out of college, Jack White? What's it like to work with guys like that? Yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, I really enjoy it. And for me, um, I really enjoyed doing a lot of the, the skill development side of things. Obviously, that's what I've been doing with the academy and, and it's part of what I was doing last year with the guys as well. Um, and, yeah, working with, you know, a guy like Chris, yeah, you can put him through all these shooting drills and have him, you know, tearing off screens and chairs and, and trying to, you know, trying to challenge him. But in the end, uh, you know, you sort of just stand under the net and just keep passing it back to him because he doesn't miss huh. too many. So, um, but, yeah, he, he's great. He, he gets hundreds of shots every week after training and there's a reason he shoots the ball the way he does. Um, so, yeah, he's just, he's just great to work with. He's just an absolute pro. Uh, David Barlow is another one, same thing, just, you know, he's just put in such an amazing amount of work. I played with Dave when we were juniors, you know, he was, he's, uh, he's actually older than me. It's funny that I'm coaching him now, but um, he's, uh, he's just still doing, you know, doing it at such a high level. And it's because he's just an absolute professional. He just puts in all the work, you know, he takes care of his body. He just does everything right. You know, he gets his shots up and, and anytime that, you know, a guy can shoot the ball as well as he does and, be as smart as he is and just read the game as well as he does. Um, you know, I'm sure he could keep doing this for a few more years yet. You know, Babbers just come into United um, in recent months or weeks. Uh, what have you sort of observed of his sort of game style um, and his game situation so far? Yeah, he's been great. So we only just got into competitive stuff, playing some one-on-one and then just yesterday into some five-on-five. So we're, we haven't seen a lot of him playing yet. Um, but his skill set is great. I mean, he can really shoot the ball. Um, he's quick. Um, he can make his own shot off the dribble. Um, he's he's really impressed me. I, you know, I'd seen the highlights. He dropped twenty against the US team at the World Cup last year, and you know, so we knew he could put the ball in the hole. But you never know how that transfers, um, or you know, how it will fit in our league. But after seeing him on the weekend, um, just yesterday, and, and during the week playing one on one and and into our five and five, I think it's really going to you know, translate into some really good stuff for us. I think his toughness is something we weren't banking on. We didn't know what, you know, what he was like in that area. But, you know, defensively, he's really been um, really been tough. Uh, he's been able to make plays for himself and for others, get in the paint, kick out, find shooters. Um, I think he's exciting. I think um, people are not going to know exactly what to expect out of him. So I think it's going to be some, uh, yeah, it's a real good surprise for a lot of people. What would be your advice to anyone trying to make their way um, towards being a successful basketball or coach like yourself? Uh, I think whether it's basketball or anything else, I think the key is just that persistence and and just to never give up. I mean, it's never the most talented people or the smartest people that make it. It's just those that just stay persistent. You know, I had times in my career where, um, you know, where maybe I didn't, you know, and I, I got upset and let things get to me and and that was when things didn't go well but then I think I realized by the middle of my career that 
if I just tough it out and just keep on turning up every day, um, you know, no more so than when I played at the Dragons. I just kept turning up to training, literally turning up when I wasn't invited and just trained. And same thing here, you know, as a coach now, I think I was just willing to fill up drink bottles and, and be a team manager for a year and just keep turning up and just being there in front of people and just be persistent and just keep on working on whatever it is you want to do. I think you're going to be successful in the end. Um, it's really easy to get discouraged and a lot of people want results now. And I think it's part of our world now that we live in that instant gratification, you know, everyone wants it results now and they want to, you know, just get everything they think they deserve right now. Um, but it takes time and it takes persistence. And, you know, if you can just stick it out longer than everyone else, you win in the end. Uh, you might not win day one, year one, you know, year five, but you're going to get there if you just don't give up and just stick it out. Thanks, Reese, for being part of the Sporting Max podcast. It's been awesome having you on. No worries. Thanks very much for having me, Max. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. Please like this episode and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. This episode was brought to you by Becker's Facilities, your one-stop shop for facility maintenance services.